Welcome into another Wednesday edition of the Stripe Show podcast. It's Froggy. Thank you so much for letting us be a part of your Wednesday and finding time to uh, join the program. And today I want to give a special thank you to uh, three-time PGA Tour winner, Scott Stallings. He is here with us today. And uh, Scott, thank you so much for your time. I know you had a busy week. Uh, Lots of good golf being played. And uh, thanks so much for joining us today. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, so, yeah, uh, it, was a, it was an interesting week in Fort Worth for sure. <laughs> it was a very interesting week. I have tons of questions to ask. You're on site. You know what's going on. And so uh, first, you know, I want to talk about uh, you're in you're in Tennessee, correct? I am. Are you a Vols fan? I, I cheer for the Vols. Um, I, I would say I don't live and die um by everything they do but uh, right. i am a fan and look forward to uh seeing people run through the tee here in a few months and i know everyone's kind of ready to see some type of normalcy in uh neyland stadium uh, we, i took my son over they did top golf in neyland a few weeks ago and uh you know just the amount of people that came out for that kind of just gives you a glimpse of what football season in the in the fall will be like yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm a Gator fan, so uh, we are going to play each other the third week of the season in in Gainesville. Uh, we we get uh, maybe the maybe it's the fourth week. We get Alabama the week before, so we we might be uh, we might be a little beat up and, and licking our wounds by the time we get to Tennessee. I don't think anybody beats Alabama. Yeah, uh, who knows? Early. <laughs> Yeah, who knows about the, um, you know, what kind of team they're going to have, but I'm sure, you know, everyone has a lot of hopes and dreams to the start of the season, but uh, it'll be nice to see, kind of see what happens, kind of a change of uh, regime and uh, coaching and new athletic directors. So uh, it'll be interesting to see for sure. It will be. I'm looking forward to uh, football season back. You know, you mentioned that, you know, through the pandemic, people are looking to get back to normalcy. And you, you can see it uh, when you watch the golf tournaments. You can see crowds uh, are jazzed to be back and love seeing seeing the fans again. How do you as a player, uh, do you enjoy playing more in front of fans or did you enjoy the time where there was nobody out there? Uh, it's It was very unique. Uh, I, I, my second event back was Hartford and I played good. I finished sixth there on the weekend. And I remember m- me and uh, so you'll know birdied 18 to at the time be- get to like third or fourth place. And normally that would be like a, like a, or, or something. Right. And it, it was literally like no one, <laughs> like no, <laughs> there was no one there. <laughs> and I think maybe one of the camera guys is walking off. I was like, great putt, man. And that was it. Right. And then, then fast forward uh, to a few weeks ago, I played well in Dallas and I, we were on the 18th green, we had a rain delay and then lightning hit. And basically we had a two and a half hour delay to put a 15 footer and at to, to that, the time to get into second place or tie for second. And so we sat around and to go out there and then make it and to hear the crowds and everything. Golf is definitely better with fans. Uh, you know, obviously everything that happened with Phil winning the PGA and kind of the, you know, just, you know, people are just hungry for that. And live sports are, are a huge part of our lives. And, you know, the PGA tour has done a good job as far as getting in the situation where we bring it back. And, um, but you can definitely tell people are hungry to be back out there and it's exciting to have them out there uh, cheering us on. Yeah, I mean, you played really well in uh, in Dallas at the Fire Nelson. Would you roll off 10, 10 birdies in that round six in a row? I mean, golf really – I mean, listen, I, I, I'm a huge fan of golf and, and play a lot of golf. It is so hard, but sometimes you just get into that, that – that 
maybe a, a motion or whatever, the swing thought or whatever, and everything starts going right. Is that what happened in that round? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, this is my 11th year on tour and you know, you start to kind of know that, you know, the, the days where everything is working is, you know, you want to say that it's all the time, but unfortunately it's not just with all the different variables that we have. I mean, Fort Worth's a perfect example. We had a completely different wind direction every single day. Uh, you know, the course was super soft, wet throughout the rain during the week. And then just kind of dealing with, you know, the time of day that you played and kind of, you know, how the holes are situated and, you know, not every day is the same. So the days that you do have it all clicking, like you need to take full advantage of it and, you know, truly get as much out of it as you possibly can. Cause you just never really know, you know, when those days are going to come around. So you have to take advantage of them when you get them. Yeah. It was good to see Jason Kokrak win yesterday. It's it's when, when you watch it, it's crazy how it took him 232 starts to get his first victory. And then 17 starts later, he gets another one. Is, is that encouraging for players who haven't won in a while and are trying to get back on track and trying to get the ball rolling again, that, that maybe it is that avalanche feeling of if I just win one, I could win again and again and again. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, okay, golf is, you know, there's maybe one person ever to, you know, stack up enough wins to, you know, change a winning percentage. But in, in all honesty, golf is one of the only sports that, you know, in terms of, you know, failure and successes, you have significantly more failures in, in terms of winning golf tournaments. I mean, I've won three in my career. I have no idea how many events I've played, but <laughs> I've technically lost more than I've won. Right. But I think it's all about perspective and understanding, like, when you do have those situations when you can push it towards the lead and to truly not shy away from the opportunity and, and kind of dive in head first and, you know, deal with consequences that come because, you know, the margin of error is so small and everyone top to bottom, I mean, everybody can win. And it's just a matter of, you know, t taking the opportunity when it's presented and executing and kind of dealing with everything that comes your way as you're coming down the stretch. Is, is there ever a time when you're practicing prior to an event where you think to yourself, this is a week I've got it. I, I think if I play well, I, I could win because I'm really feeling it this week. Well, I've won three completely different ways. Uh, I've won, you know, kind of where um, I won in a playoff. I won at Torrey coming down the stretch of a really, really hard golf course and just didn't make bogeys, <laughs> made a bunch of par putts. And then I won in Jackson where I played great all week. But uh, to be honest, like Jackson in 2012 was a unique experience. And the fact that Wednesday afternoon, like I, I couldn't hit the range with an eight iron and um, just struggling and, you know, a little bit of, you know, some swing stuff, a little bit of just everything that kind of goes on when you're struggling. And uh, I hit about three shots in a row and it all started to kind of come together as, you know, late afternoon, late evening practice session. And it was after the pro-am where I think I ran out of balls <laughs> and, and you go out there and, you know, golf's such a unique game and you, know, you see a couple of shots and start stringing them together and like, oh, okay, I can actually do this. And then it starts to kind of build in and go from there. You know, I don't think the average person understands. I know I don't. And maybe you can speak to this. How hard is it to win on the PGA Tour? How difficult is it to close the door? Uh, I mean, <laughs> I don't know if I could necessarily put it in context where we're like a normal person. But I mean, just, you know, you're you're out there. You're one of 150 guys in the world that, you know, are the best players, the, the best at what they do. And coming down the stretch and you're, 
you're on a knife's edge already. And, you know, the, you know, the slightest little error, poor execution or, you know, you know, missed 10 footer. I mean, it can all just, you know, kind of extrapolate down from, you know, opportunity to win. And, you know, next thing you know, it's like you, you see it, see it, see it. And, but I think the guys that have been in that situation more and more, they kind of relish it. And, you know, the, the situation, they're continually pushing themselves towards that. And I think that's something we can all strive towards. I mean, I asked because I, I've been, you know, standing over a putt on 18 or 16, 17, where I know my buddies are going to break my balls if I don't make it or I'm going to lose 20 bucks. And I know how much that is unnerving is to me, where I can't imagine what it's like to stand there knowing there's thousands of people standing around you. You're on national television and you're putting for hundreds of thousands. Every putt is could be worth $100,000. What it's worth, I, I've got to make this putt and trying to will it in the hole versus just being so free the way you probably start on a Thursday, so to speak yeah i think it's a completely different perspective like i couldn't imagine interviewing people every single day just like (laughs) you know i mean i I go to work i don't really see the people um you know i enjoy being out there and playing in front of fans uh just like i'm sure all the other pga tour guys do but i think that in the situation is you know the first one on thursday is just as important as the putt on sunday that's the one that the only people see when I won at Greenbrier my rookie year, I actually missed a putt um, on the fifth green on Thursday, and it was literally less than about six inches. It hit the back liner of the hole, and it came out. I mean, it was it was this far. I don't know where my camera is. Wow. <laughs> but I mean, just like one of those, I go to tap it in, and, and it hits the back edge of the liner, and it comes out. And I just remember coming down the stretch is like, if I lose this tournament by one shot, like, but that's just the stuff that people don't see. Cause I mean, it was, you know, random front nine early in the week. No one really saw it. And then but coming down to it, like everyone always asks, what well, do you think about that putt you missed on 18? It's like, well, I don't really think about that one, but I think about the 10 others that I missed throughout the course of the week. And right. so, I mean, ultimately the culmination of being able to execute uh, under, you know, the, the microscope and the, you know, the, the ultimate pressure of the, of the, the final hole, but you know, the same time and attention needs to go into the first shot, just like the last one. Yeah. Every shot counts. I mean, that's the one thing about our sport. I always say is a, a 300, the greatest drive you've ever hit 325, 30, 40 yards counts just as much as a putt that's this far. It, 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 it's, mm-hmm. it, the sport is crazy how it works. It's a sport we've uh, chosen to play. Some of us are much better than others. Uh, you, uh, however, it's just, <laughs> it, you know, it is what it is. It drives us crazy. I go to the golf course and I have a good round. I come home in a great mood. My wife's like, oh, I'm so glad you played good today. And I know why she's happy because I'm in a good mood. But when I play bad, man, it's just, you feel like you're, you feel like you're never going to find it when it's wrong and you feel like you can't lose it when it's good. <laughs> and then definitely had those experiences. Uh, last week was, was very much so. Uh, I, I ventured in the rough a lot at Colonial and if anyone saw any of the TV, the rough was <laughs> very high. So uh, um, I, I definitely understand <laughs> that mentality, all the hopes and dreams of, of going to the first tee with a sense of expectation. <laughs> and then the you, first drive of the day goes right under the lip of the bunker and you just look as like, What's going on? <laughs> Rapsodo Mobile Launch Monitor. Improve your golf swing today. Pro-level launch data in the palm of your hand. It is very accurate. Within 2% of a $20,000 unit. The Rapsodo MLM app automatically tracks stats 
and stores video with Shot Tracer, helpful for club gapping and understanding true distances for each club. Rapsodo MLM provides immediate feedback, data, and creates a better practice environment, not mindlessly hitting balls. Extremely portable. Case is about the size of a rangefinder. And you know what? You can use it both indoors and outdoors. I love this launch monitor. It's the Rapsodo mobile launch monitor. Check it out at rapsodo.com. R-A-P-S-O-D-O.com. Rapsodo.com. Oh my goodness. But I know you you now last week you played in a US Open qualifier. How did that go? Uh it was a very unique set of circumstances. Uh, the USGA has a set of challenges and uh, sort of, uh, I don't know, they sort of put themselves back themselves into a hole just to choose their way to operate events. And um, uh, we had a, a tremendous amount of rain in Dallas over the uh, last few weeks. And um, they chose to use a course condition, playing it down. And it just kind of completely limited the opportunity to finish the event and, you know, adequate time. I was a couple of holes short and it just got to the point with, with the rain and the course conditions that uh, was probably not going to finish until Tuesday night. I was going to have to get, I think I would have had to birdie or birdie Eagle my, one of my last two or three holes. And it just kind of got to the point of where, man, this is truly taken away from my opportunity to prepare for colonial and uh, a tournament that I love, a course that I love. And so I withdrew. I think that was the most withdrawals any U.S. Open sectional qualifiers ever had. They had 13 guys from that were playing the NCAA tournament, a couple of Champions Tour guys that were getting ready for the senior PGA. There was about 18 PGA Tour players from Colonial. <laughs> so wow. once it went on to Tuesday, it was like a mass exodus. And everyone's like, wow. I need to focus on the tournament I know I'm playing in. So yeah, I mean, I they mean, did the, US the best. Open. Go ahead. Yeah. They did the best with what they could, but still, I mean, I could go on hours on my thoughts on the USGA, but I just think that, uh, you know, it definitely changes are coming uh, in the right way. And, you know, just trying to see that, you know, just because is not a good enough answer of why they choose to operate and do things the way they do. And, um, you know, I think that'd be a good thing for, for everyone. And, uh, obviously I'm bummed that I'm not going to be at Tory and uh, places that I've had success. And, right. um, I think it'd be incredible U S open and, uh, look forward to checking it out. Yeah. That's what I was about to mention is that I know you, you and Tory have got some good history together. You've got a win there. You were in a playoff the year after, uh, so you, you played well there and obviously wanting to go back and, and, and have a chance to win a major, win, win the U S open with it being at a course that you have had success at obviously was near and dear to your heart. Yeah. And I mean, that's definitely a, a decision weighing on, you know, staying or going or in kind of everything, obviously we need an incredible finish, you know, throughout the qualifier. But at that time, uh, you need to focus on the events that you know you're in and the events, that, you know, U S opens are great. One of the best stretches I've ever had in my PGA tour career. I finished fourth at colonial finished fourth at Memorial and I finished second at Memphis three events in a row. And in the process, I qualified for the U S open and that was at Marion. And I mean, probably the best stretch month of golf I've played consistently throughout my career, you know, three chances to win. And I, I'm not saying I, I don't remember if I won sectionals or whatever, but just, you know, I was doing great. <laughs> and then I qualified for the U S open at Marion, made the cut. We had all sorts of weather, everything. And it just, 
I mean, honestly, I wasn't near in the shape that I am now. And it just kind of sucked the life out of me just dealing with all the delays and the pressures of a major and, and a golf course that was as brutal as Marion was as great as it was, it was super tough. And, you know, looking back on it, you just like, you see, it's like, man, you know, what if I had that week to kind of reset and, and look, but obviously we want to play and compete at the highest level and have opportunity to play and compete in majors. And, um, look, I don't regret it or anything, but, uh, obviously utilizing it in a, in a little bit change of perspective and understanding that, all right, I'm not in, I can't do anything about it. I put my best foot forward. I'm going to utilize a good week off and be ready to go in Hartford. Yeah. You know, you brought up being in the best shape and Scott, a lot of people credit Tiger Woods with bringing fitness in, in, into golf. And you have really, really completely transformed your body and transformed your game uh, with fitness. And so uh, m my question would be a lot of people during the pandemic, did work out you were doing it well before that how did getting into fitness change your approach to golf and change your game well i mean i never did any of the changes for golf um i think that's kind of a common misconception is like well, why did you do this and why did you do that and um honestly it was for my life it was for my wife and my kids and myself uh and if you know golf continued it was a bonus um and I never set out to make any of the physical changes or any of the lifestyle changes or anything to, you know, benefit my golf career. It was, it was solely, I mean, you can call it selfish or whatever, but golf was the furthest thing from my mind. Um, and the fact that I've you know, now kind of come on the other side of it, I feel like a second chance in my career and I'm super grateful for it. I'm grateful for the people that came around me, pushed me in the right direction and kind of helped me learn and you know develop better habits and you know understanding like what a healthy lifestyle looks like to have a person that travels 30 weeks a year and um you know managing all the other things that go into it and um you know to be the husband and father that my kids and my wife deserve and you know to try to you know be a go-between and help people not make the same mistakes that i did and you know you only get one of these this is it Right. Like, don't get a second chance. And, you know, it's amazing once you take care of this, you know, what you're truly capable of. And, you know, hopefully I can be a testament and, you know, help people continue to be a, you know, not go down the same road that I did. So when you say that going down the road that you did, how, how big was your transformation? Where where did you start to where you are now? <laughs> like in terms of like numbers and stuff, that's yeah, what everyone yeah. wants to know. Yeah. Like the biggest, the big, the biggest I ever was, was, uh, 252 pounds. Um, wow. so <laughs> I was a big boy. <laughs> and was it eating? Was it, was it an eating life? Obviously you made a change in, in getting in the gym and working out, taking uh, care of your body, but yeah. did you change what you put into your body as well? Yeah, it was a little bit of everything and just the golf, like, you know, you don't just become the, the best driver of the ball overnight or, you know, the best putter, it's all incremental change. And, you know, the same kind of mentality is how you get better is, you know, and, you know, like flashing the pan stuff is not lasting and you want to, you know, you know, kind of build up a baseline to be able to handle it. And, and ultimately I had, uh, I had obstructive sleep apnea and I didn't know, like I put my nose a bunch as a kid and never really got it fixed properly and went in and, uh, saw an ENT and may change my life. Um, and, you know, kind of help where I could sleep and recover. And then kind of the cascade effect, I learned how to train, I learned how to eat, I learned how to travel, I learned how to do all these different things. And, you know, next thing you know, it kind of, you know, took its progression from there.
Yeah, I mean, we've seen what fitness can do. I mean, I'm a huge, uh, like I said earlier, I'm a Gators fan, but I'm also a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. And so to see what Tom Brady has been able to do that nobody else has been able to do it at his age, uh, to have the success, it's obviously a lot of it goes to his workout regime and what he puts into his body. And that really does make a huge difference from an athletic performance perspective. Yeah, I mean, you kind of get out of it what you put into it. And, you know, I know that's kind of a cliche term, but I mean, it's the truth. And I think that it goes in like, you know, you want to perform it and, you know, sustain it at a high level. Like, I mean, you can't go off smoke and mirrors and, you know, just kind of flash in the pan, you know, crash dieting and, you know, you know, what, you know, just sort of this, you know, cascade of ups and downs and, you know, level and, you know, where your body has some kind of form of consistency and kind of knows what you're getting on a day-to-day basis and, you know, kind of be able to handle everything that comes our way. Um, you know, uh, golfers have definitely struggled with the, you know, mystique of unathleticism and this and that. But, you know, I think if you look now up and down the range, uh, you know, you can definitely tell that, you know, people are putting in the work off the golf course and, and kind of seeing that, you know, what it's going to take and, you know, to continue to push yourself to be one of the best in the world. Right. Scott, how important do you think fitness is to golf? overall i think that you need to be doing something i'm not saying you need to do what i do or what bryson or brooks or any of these other guys or rory like we all have or camillo for any of that reason i think you know we all have a a thought process on what we feel the best what we like the most and you know kind of what provides the best version of ourselves and um i think for people to kind of find that um and kind of go down that journey like it's the same you know it's very individualistic too and i think everyone should be doing something you can't have that much asymmetric movement and the volume of reps that we have in the course of a whole pga tour season you just don't have the time to undo that so you have to have some resiliency um and the opportunity just to kind of to deal with everything and um, you know, I, I think it plays a, a huge part in almost every PGA Tour player's lives, whether they admit to it or not. Uh, they're all doing something. And uh, just to kind of go out there and, and utilize what we have here to go out there and push ourselves to be one of the best. Yeah, and I've noticed a lot of the PGA Tour players, I think the PGA Tour has had some involvement in the, in, in the WOOP bracelet. And they said that it has taught them how to recover and they're, they're learning more. And there's, you know, there's all this data about the body. Are you a believer in that as well? Yeah, I mean, pure <laughs> behavior modification. <laughs> uh, that's ultimately what it is. And learning habits and traits. And uh, actually, the journal feature that uh, they utilize now as far as to understand what you do, a lot of that came from input from some PGA Tour guys and understanding that, man, all of our days are the same, but they're all different at the same time. Like, we know what we're going to do. It's just a matter of when we're going to do it. And a lot of it's based on tee times, based on travel, based on weather. And there's just a lot of things that ultimately we want to control as much as we can. But at the end of the day, we kind of have to deal with the variables that, you know, we sort of inherit, you know, by just whenever we're out there. And so dealing with all those in a way to kind of quantify and, and a little bit be objective to understand, all right, when I do this, this happens and you can kind of start to see kind of a cause and effect to kind of make better decisions and understand, all right, this is taking place. So what I'm going to have to do to recover and, and kind of overcome this so I can be ready to go again. 
Right. And I know you said it's all individualistic and everybody does their own thing. But as far as a daily workout routine, how much time do you spend working out a day versus what you spend working on your golf game? It kind of depends. Um, uh, you know, we don't really have a set time uh, in terms of a season of a traditional like strength and, you know, conditioning, like periodization schedule. So you basically have a week of where it's sort of a, like a microcosm of what that would look like over the course of the year, like, you know, s slow, he longer, heavier, slower. And as the week progresses, shorter, faster, lighter with respect to my tee times and everything. And, um, it's definitely been an ebb and flow, um, critique my schedule a lot over the past probably month just knowing that this is the biggest part of my schedule when I'm playing a bunch of events in a row. So I kind of cap it on a time or like an exertion, you know, kind of use the whoop and, you know, some other tools to kind of help evaluate, like just how much I'm truly putting in. But, uh, you know, I would say it's appropriate. <laughs> um, and, you know, kind of how I feel and understanding like what I need to get and the opportunity to take advantage of, of days when you can and off weeks when you can. Right. What, what would you say has been the biggest benefit of your golf game from the changes that you've made in your body and working out? Just resiliency. Um, the, the time and effort that it takes to get me to play, um, and just waking up every single day, figuring I can I can build upon what I did the day before instead of feeling like some days where I was starting over, I was starting like way behind where I was. And I think a lot of the stuff goes into just planning and understanding what that looks like and utilizing the tools that are available. Got a great PT, a trainer, a guy that's kind of been with me from the very beginning. His name's Adam Curley. And we have a doctor um, that we started working with a few years ago that probably works with seven or eight other PGA Tour players. It just understands where you're at. Uh, just quarterly lab work, nothing like, you know, crazy, but just understanding through the course of the season, you're going to have ups in the road. You're going to have, you know, ups and downs and kind of understanding just to maximize the, you know, the highs and kind of minimize the lows, but also being realistic, that, you know, in the course of any season and any life and especially as much as we're out there i mean you're just gonna over you're gonna come in contact with different things and have to deal with stuff that just you understanding how to deal with it uh i made a joke about when i was at byron um there were cottonwood everywhere and one of my sinus surgery uh seasonal allergies are pretty brutal and just understanding kind of how to deal with that. And I'd kind of messed up, uh, some allergy medication and I Friday afternoon, that was one of the worst times I've ever felt on the golf course and understanding how to deal with it and, and understand, you know, kind of how to flush it out and, you know, kind of get back on a little bit better uh, plan to go what I was a little bit more used to and kind of dealing with just seasonal allergy stuff while we're out there and was able to come back fortunate to make the cut and go back out Saturday morning and, you know, 10 birdies, one bogey 63 and put myself right in the opportunity to, to be right there on Sunday. Right. You know, I don't think a lot of people understand that, you know, you're obviously the face of the franchise uh, with you being the guy swinging the club and, and being the player, but, there's a there's an entire team behind you, whether it's a caddy, whether it's the personal trainer, the doctor. I know you've got a statistician as well. How many people make up Team Team Scott Stallings? <laughs> well, I have my family. Uh, I have my wife Jennifer and my two kids, Finn and Millie. Finn's eight, and Millie's five, and 
you know, they're kind of my baseline. Uh, I don't think they, they're super encouraging, but yet like what I do on the grass doesn't necessarily right. is indicative of like that relationship more they're there, but I mean, more just uh, I refer to them as like a blessed distraction just because right. I mean, when I'm, I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I'm a, you know, whatever, whatever I'm needed, <laughs> I'm there. <laughs> and, um, I'm my caddy, uh, John been together for probably over five, five, five years now. And, um, he's been great. Uh, Adam doc short game, Tim full swing Hamilton. Uh, wow. we're getting into multiple hands. That's a lot, you know? Uh, stats, man, you have a manager, you have all these different things. Oh my goodness. That's a lot of people, man. That's so like- it, 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 it's, it, it's definitely more, it's definitely more than people think, but everyone gets along. Um, you know, everyone's kind of focused on the same thing and just try to help, you know, you know, there's built in accountability, um, understanding, you know, different ways, uh, to kind of look at approaching you know, problems and, you know, strengths and weaknesses and kind of how to maximize them and, and minimize them and, you know, figure out the different things you need to do to be prepared week in and week out and, uh, kind of go. And I'm very fortunate to have guys around me that, that help me out. And, uh, you know, I feel fortunate they haven't, <laughs> they stuck with me through all this and, you know, continue to help me to, to get better. Yeah, that's tough. As an as an as an amateur, as somebody who's just a, a huge fan of golf, I play a lot. I drink. I'm. T- I know. I I can imagine the eye roll I'm going to get when I tell you I drink way too many of these. Way too many Coke Zeros. <laughs> I probably couldn't pay you enough to drink and put a Coke Zero in your body. And you know what? I I understand. But what would you say is something that an amateur who just wants to improve their golf game, but yet at the same time be healthier? What are some exercises or things to do that are good? But once again, I know it's individualistic and I'm not going to you know, hold you to, I want anything specific, but what are some things that are good for an amateur that would help their golf game, but yet help me be a healthier person as well? Yeah. Anything is better than nothing. And kind of, it's more, not necessarily uh, any exercise. It's what, just because you can, doesn't mean you should. And that applies to all sorts of life, but definitely in amateur golf. And, you know, some of my best friends in the world are 10, 12 handicaps and we go play with them and like, like, oh man, I shot 84, but I should have shot 78. And it's like, like, why didn't you shoot 78? It's like, well, I just went for it. And I think a lot of it's, you know, traditional amateur golf. It's like, man, you may be like a traditional nine to five or you get out one afternoon for nine holes and maybe 18 holes on Sunday. So your opportunity to play is just so small. So you want to try to get out of it everything you can. And then next thing you know, you're Monday at work and you're pissed because, uh, you know, your 84 should have been 78. And you're like, well, I shouldn't have gone for this. Or I shouldn't have gone for that. And, you know, it's amazing. We play with a guy at Pro-Am at, uh, in Fort Worth this week. And dude is probably a 20 handicap. And he kept trying to chip it off the fringe. Like, I mean, he's two feet off the green. I was like, man, you need to putt. Like you are not good enough to chip this ball (laughs) and understanding. And next thing you know, you know, the team ended up doing really well. Obviously he was getting a lot of strokes and going on just, man, like, you know, understanding, you know, what your true capabilities are and kind of resting in that, you know, be who you are not who you want to be and understanding like why you're out there. Like, I think that will help 
people get a lot more out of their golf game than than maybe they want. Maybe they don't want to hear those kind of things from a PGA Tour player. But it was amazing. After three holes, it's like, man, I should put everywhere. I was like, yes, yes, you should. <laughs> <laughs> I played in the pro in one time with Alan Doyle on the Champions Tour. And I, I hit a drive and I, I pulled it left and I'm in the trees and I've got, I've got my six iron out and he walks over to me and goes, boy, what are you doing? I said, oh, there's a window right there. He goes, oh, okay. He goes, when you were back on the tee box and had a, and had a 75 yard fairway, wide fairway to hit in, you blew it over here in the trees, but now you've got a two foot window in the trees and you're going to knock it through that two foot window. He goes, yeah, go ahead. And it bounces off the tree and bounces out of bounds. He goes, okay, now drop another ball and chop out. I dropped another ball, chopped out, hit it on the green and made bogey. He said, that's the problem. You're not good enough to knock it through that tiny little hole in the trees. If you were, you wouldn't be playing here in a pro-am. DraftKings Sportsbook is not only my favorite sportsbook, but also America's top-rated sportsbook. I love using DraftKings Sportsbook. It is easy to navigate, has plenty of instructions for new bettors, and nearly limitless ways to get in all the action. My friends and family have been loving DraftKings Sportsbook, and I know you will too. Listen to this great offer. DraftKings Sportsbook is putting you courtside with a chance to turn $1 into $100 in site credits. That's right. Pick any basketball team that is still in contention, bet $1, and if that team wins, you win $100 in site credits. Don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook also offers great odds and promotions on baseball, hockey, and so much more all week long. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TRAVIS when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free credits. Bet on the basketball team of your choice to win their game. And if they do, you will claim $100 in free credits. That's promo code Travis for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Wagers paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Yeah, I think that it's funny, like, uh, you know, the tour does a great job of engaging with all the different partners that we have. And, you know, the Pro-Am is a, a unique atmosphere and where, you know, you get super successful and, you know, people from all over the world and people that are very comfortable in a traditional business setting. And then you get them on the golf course and it's like panic sets in <laughs> of everything that kind of comes in with it. And, um, you know, it's amazing. You know, I would say 95% of guys are like, man, if you tell me to do something, I will do it. Like, right. You tell me to turn around, you know, spin around three times and hit my driver and I'm going to hit it, right. you know, 50 down the middle. I'm, I'm in, but then you'll get this very, very small percentage that will try to like, not, I wouldn't say argue, but debate my thoughts on how to approach their game compared to how they are. Right. And I had a very similar situation to what with yours with Alan Doyle, where this guy, he was, he was a single digit handicap. Obviously you could tell that, you know, he definitely had some game, 
but he continued to just put himself in just horrible places. And I said, man, like, you know, the opportunity you have to help this team throughout this program, like you're just, you know, you're shooting yourself in the foot before you can even have a chance to contribute. And he started debating. And finally I was like, man, can I just like talk you through this one hole of how to do it? And he went, he's like, man, I just never thought about that way. I was like, you're in my office now, man. Like I'm not coming to sit at your desk telling you how to do your job, but like, I've done this for a long time now to the point of like, <laughs> but it was funny. The rest of his team was like, this is amazing. He never listens to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> took the guy who is a professional to tell him what to do. And let, let me guess, he played better and scored better when he played your way. Yeah, his team is like, this is what we need <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> so, uh, but it, it is a, it's definitely a cast of characters who you meet in pro-ams. Um, and uh, it, it's, uh, you know, sort of a guess every single time uh, as far as what you, you're dealing with when you get out there. But, you know, it's nice for everyone to kind of have a, a glimpse of what we see and what we deal with on a day-to-day basis and kind of be, you know, it's a very unique environment in which, you know, like you could go on the field before Tom Brady plays, but, I mean, you're not going to go like catch a pass over the middle and get right. tackled by some linebackers. Like, right. I don't want to do that. <laughs> but the fact that, you know, these uh, the people participating get a chance to play golf course that we're uh, competing on the next four days, the day before, and kind of get a glimpse of inside the ropes is, is what PGA Tour and what golf has to offer, which not a lot of sports can, you know, recreate. Oh, no, I think it's amazing. I always say that golf is the one sport – that if you that you can tee it up on the you know like you said you, you you can't go catch a pass from Tom Brady you might be able to walk on the field but you can't go uh, to Yankee Stadium and 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 have uh, you know Mariano Rivera in the day throw you a pitch it, it doesn't work that way but our sport you can go to a golf course you can go to Torrey Pines you can go to Pebble Beach and if you pay enough money to get on the tee box you can go all the way to the back and you can play it just like you guys play it and that's what makes this sport so amazing and you realize when you do play if you're lucky enough to play in a pro-am or if you're lucky enough to ever play with a pga tour professional just go to an event and listen to the sound the ball makes when they hit it and you'll realize it is a different ball game yeah it's a a unique i've done a few athlete outings that it all comes around golf and you know i would say the golfers predominantly not the most popular athletes compared to some of the traditional mainstream sports but when you come to a golf event with super competitive athletes you know when you're picking teams the golfers are the first ones to get picked because <laughs> everyone wants everyone wants one of us on their team right uh, i was under armor for a long time early in my career and we'd go do these golf outings and next thing you know it's like you're on my team I'm like oh sure like you yeah, see sure. and you know all the different athletes through all the, through all the different sports are like we're, we're definitely getting one of these pros because like we like we can't do it without them. And so it's definitely a common ground sport and uh, the tour has done a great job to, you know, continue to put us in opportunities to where we can showcase that, you know, throughout all the different places that we play. It is, you know, you brought up earlier, you, you, you were talking about guys who, who are working out and who have really brought fitness to the forefront in golf. And, and Bryson is one that during the pandemic, we completely saw a transformation. You go back and look at Bryson pre-pandemic and even last year or two years ago was a completely different guy than this Bryson. Um, have you ever, have you ever, did any of Bryson's transformation make you want to chase distance ever at all, Scott? No, none. Yeah. Cause I know, um, 
Rory had said that he was guilty of kind of trying to chase distance and it ruined his game. And he has now gone over to Pete Cowan and has, has had a win this year, won the Wells Fargo. So I, I'm wondering if other guys are seeing like, hey, I see the way he's playing the game. Maybe I could play it that way as well. And using fitness to try and get longer uh, and, and, and try and change the player that they are. I think a big misconception, Bryson, obviously the distance thing is incredible. And, you know, to be, to hit it the length that he's hitting it and honestly as straight as he's hitting it. But man, when you, for that stretch, when you are gaining over two shots a day, putt, like, and you drive it 350, golf is not that hard. <laughs> <laughs> so I think everyone puts this emphasis on the transition, 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 which is great. And, you know, teach them and he put the work in and, you know, he's had a huge amount of success coming from it, but like, stats don't lie and you know gaining off the tee is huge and opportunities to you know short clubs and this and that but he had one stretch where um, he was gaining almost a full maybe three quarters of a shot on the field every time he teed up putting like it's over <laughs> I mean those are like tiger numbers <laughs> right where do you stand on the arm lock putting are you do you, do you have an issue with it do you do you think there's a problem there I don't know. I think the whole I, I, that's another USGA conversation, maybe with an adult beverage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, just the things that they choose to to go into and uh, change and, you know, make it more complicated and this and that. Like, I don't understand how you can jam it up against your arm, but you can't stick it like I, I have no idea. Uh, I understand the premise of it in terms of what it but if it was truly that. You know, same thing with the belly putter. If, if the belly putter was truly that much better, why didn't everyone on tour use it? And if the arm lock is truly that much better, why is, you know, maybe five or six guys on tour using it and maybe only one guy stuck with it? And then you have Cooch now that he's done it backwards. And, you know, I don't know, putting is very individualistic, just like golf is. And But, you know, the, the banning of clubs and balls and all the different other myriad of things they're talking about getting rid of and, uh, that's probably a different conversation. <laughs> no, I'm with one. you. I agree hundred percent. This, this whole, this, I don't think anybody's ever said, yeah, I hit the ball too far. And so I, I think you're going down a slippery slope when you're either going to try and dial it back. Number one. And, and then number two, how do you have a different set of uh, clubs and balls for amateurs versus pros? I mean, I, I, it's a really slippery slope that I hope we don't venture down anytime soon. Yeah, I don't think people see the conditions that we play. I mean, anyone that's ever been to a tour event, like you're going to see the golf course in a set and set up in a spot where it may never be ever again until we play there for the next year. And, you know, the firmness of the fairways and, you know, just everything that we deal with, like it's just perfect. So obviously you're going to have optimal performers from your equipment, but like conditions play a huge part of it. Um, I mean, Byron was a perfect example of – we were looking back at some of the drives that we hit based off wind and rain when we played on Sunday and number 10, I hit my drive. It was downwind off the right and it had just started raining just a little bit, but nowhere near like it did later in the week and later in the round and drive was like 340, which is great. Um, downwind fairways were still kind of kicking out there pretty good and, and going. And then we turn around and go into the wind and it's pumping the rain now and 16 and 18 i did not hit either one of my drives 250 yards wow so like 
just understanding like, man, there's so many different things uh, that can go into making the ball go further. Obviously our equipment is way better. The training and the physical side is way better, but ultimately you put a set of conditions in there with a little bit of the elements. And I mean, that can affect more than anything. And obviously the turf conditions that we play as well. Right. I, you knew I had to ask you this before we're, uh, before I let you go and, and, and we're done here. I got to ask you, where do you stand in the Brooks and Bryson feud that had started last week with the video that came out, they took it down and then, then they announced the match and Brooks tweets at Aaron Rodgers that he's sorry. He's got to spend an afternoon with Bryson. Uh, I mean, what is going on here and, and how much of this do you think is driven by the PIP, by that new player impact uh, performance program? Honestly, I don't know that much about it. I know that, you know, they've obviously had their uh, differences, <laughs> I would say. Um <laughs> I, I don't know either guys super well. I, I definitely probably know if I know one of them better, I know Brooks significantly better and uh, than I know Bryson, but uh, who knows, man, you know, go out there and ultimately at the end of the day, we're golfers, you know, the score that we put in the box at the end kind of determines ultimate, but uh, it's, it is unique to have sort of a, you know, uh, it's definitely dueling personalities <laughs> to yeah. say the least. And, you know, I don't know if that's good or bad for our game, but I mean, I, at the end of the day, I'm going to let them deal with that. I'm kind of go worry about my stuff and I got enough on my plate to deal with. How many times did you watch the video? Cause I'm going to admit that I watched it about a hundred times because I was trying to hear what Bryson said that made Brooks so upset, but I can't make it out. So in my head, I don't have any idea what the reason was. I just know Brooks was really upset. I, I haven't seen it all. I've seen all the pictures that people made after the fact. Cause honestly, I, you know, if I'm not in the event, I don't really pay that much attention to. I watch Phil finish on Sunday just because, man, that's something you may never see again. But I didn't know anything about any of that stuff taking place. And that was right when we were doing the section qualifier as well. So we were dealing with the rain. And so I, I did, I got asked about it last week. And honestly, I didn't know anything about it. I saw a bunch of funny pictures that people would kind of like reposition and everything. <laughs> so it makes, it makes a lot more sense now. Right. It really does. Scott, what is your schedule moving forward? I know you just played th this week at Colonial at the Charles Schwab. But what does your schedule look like moving forward? I'm off this week. Uh, Congaree, uh, which is a new venue, uh, a place where I'm an ambassador uh, with a group of guys down there in South Carolina. So look forward to having you know the world be able to see the golf course that they've created truly in the middle of nowhere. Um, you know what? I want to talk to you about that, actually. And I think that I want to talk to you about that because that's something yeah. I don't think a lot of people know is that they don't have paying members per se. They have people who are ambassadors who give their time and help build the game of golf in that area. And if, if you're one of those, I would love to have you talk about that. Yeah, it's a kind of a unique model. I mean, you had three guys, you know, come together and, and put together this golf course that's, first of all, it's incredible. <laughs> and um, kind of come from all over the country and, you know, the, the idea of trying to make the game of golf better from, from all different parts. And um, one of the guys that kind of helped put the golf course together is a guy named John McNeely. Uh, he's JT Poston's uh, coach and a guy that I know from Diamond Creek in North Carolina. And they had had this idea of they wanted a golf course where it kind of culminate, you know, some of the great clubs that all these people were involved in and kind of create a, a place to, you know, push and grow the game. And 
I got a letter um, kind of listing all the stuff that I do with junior golf in the state of Tennessee and asked if I would you know, be considered to, to be an ambassador at Congaree. And I was in uh, first time I went there and played the golf course and made me want to quit. <laughs> they had <laughs> the, the fastest greens I've ever played in my entire life. I think I played 13 or 14 holes <laughs> and I was like, golly, I'm not prepared for this place. Uh, but uh, just the, the mission statement of, of everything that they do down there and, and um, trying to grow the game and present opportunities uh, from, you know, no matter what demographic that you come from and, right. uh, you know, really cool mission statement and a bunch of incredible people down there that are, you know, continuing to try to push the game in the right direction. That's awesome. It really is a cool deal. And uh, I've heard a lot about it. I know uh, Harold Varner's another one who is also an ambassador uh, for the club. And so it's really cool how they're doing things. It's different, and I'm glad that they are doing it. And and there are tour pros like yourself and other guys who are buying in and helping uh, grow golf in, in a different way that we we haven't seen before. Um, what what uh, current changes or what things are you working on in your swing as, as you move forward, as you take this week off and play next week? I would like to go see what fairways are like. Um at the, the next course that I play, <laughs> I didn't see very many of them at Colonial. I made the cut and then I hit it in the rough a lot. <laughs> um, so now just consistency, uh, made some pretty significant changes in my putting and kind of the approach to some green reading and stuff. So, you know, continue to, to go from there. Uh, I did do my best, uh, at Colonial to have, but the weeks prior, I definitely saw some, some signs of life, um, and getting ready to go into a stretch of the season that I really enjoy. Um, and the course that I play here in town is a Donald Ross, in Knoxville, Tennessee, Holston Hills, and uh, very similar to where we play in Detroit, which is the old school Donald Ross as well. So I always enjoy going there. Hartford next, and Hungary, a place that I've had uh, a lot of time to be there and look forward to the, the next little stretch of golf I have coming up. Good deal. Well, Scott, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Good luck at the uh, Palmetto Championship at Congaree and moving forward throughout the season. And once again, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, man. And I look forward to seeing everyone out on tour here soon. You got it. We'll see you out there and good luck to you. Appreciate it. Let's take a second to talk about the guys and girls over at Encore Golf. Encore has earned a reputation of having the most cutting edge technology in their golf balls that the industry has seen in quite some time. Their team in Buffalo, New York, is changing the script of golf technology through the perimeter weighted designs, use of high density particles, and even a nano transitional layer in their latest creation, which offers players enhanced accuracy and control for every shot on the course and extreme velocity off the tee. They already have their award-winning Elixir and Avant 55 golf balls, but the new Vero X1 is the highest performance ball to date with their full suit of golf balls. They are transforming the game for players of all skill levels. Visit EncoreGolf.com slash Travis Fulton for more details about their products that are revolutionizing the game. Now back to the Stripe Show podcast. 